Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to The Jar. My name's Chris. We're so glad that you chose to hang out with us today. Uh, just to let you know, um, we actually had to postpone, uh, because of the severe weather, uh, the cookout today. So it's going to be next Sunday. Uh, so uh, if you brought any food, just eat it at your home and then bring more next time. Uh, but... <laughs> Uh, otherwise, we're going to have a great time. I'll be in the dunk tank next week so you can dunk me, but next week we'll be doing that. Um, when you walked in today, uh, each one of you uh, should have received a little rock like this. If you did not receive a rock like this, uh, just raise your hand and one of our greeters will get that to you. Don't feel embarrassed. Go ahead, just raise your hand because you're going to need this later. And for those of you that are on the stream, uh, go ahead, go outside, get a rock. Uh, if you're like on the beach, go get a shell, uh, something like that, because we'll be talking about it in a little bit. Well, a couple of years ago, uh, I took my oldest daughter, Jordan, on a daddy-daughter date. And I let her decide where we were going to go, and she decided that we would go to a Japanese steakhouse. And when we went to the steakhouse, she loves it because uh, they cook the meal right in front of you on a hibachi grill. And they go ahead and, you know, they uh, throw knives up in the air. They do a little volcano. Uh, it's just a really, really fun uh, kind of experience uh, that people can have with that. So uh, she was looking forward to it. I was. We walked in. Uh, the host was there. And I said, we need two uh, just... A, a table for two or a grill where there are two, but could we be on the end uh, of the table because it's kind of a daddy-daughter date. We want to kind of connect, kind of be in a quieter moment. And uh, she said, yeah, no problem. Uh, we can do that. But it's going to be 30 minutes. Now, uh, I kind of surveyed the restaurant and there was plenty of room. And this was before COVID, so it wasn't like, you know, uh, there was a lack of workers, but I was a little irritated, but I let it go and just kind of moved on. And after about 30 minutes, uh, we were seated, but they seated us right in the middle of two large groups of people that were loud and they were drinking the sake. And it was so loud that we were unable to kind of connect with each other. And so I saw another table that was over there. They had not started cooking yet for them. And there were two seats on the end. So I just went ahead and I asked, I said, hey, can we move over there? Uh, because it'll be a little quieter for us. And the server turned to me and said, no, you cannot move. And I was like, well, I'm getting a little bit more irritated. I'm like, well, why can't we move? Well, we're saving that just in case someone might come and they need two seats. I said, it's not reserved. She goes, no, it's not reserved. I said, so you're waiting for two imaginary people to show up and to walk in and to sit at these seats. Yes, sir. At that point, I said, well, you know, it's a daddy-daughter day. We're kind of doing our own thing. It would mean so much if we could do Could we move? No, you can't. Now, at this point, it went from irritation to where anger started to boil. I did not want to make a scene at all. And so I just looked at Jordan. I said, Jordan, we're out of here. And uh, she got up and she was a preteen at that point, And she was very embarrassed. And the reason I know is because as we were walking out of the restaurant, she said, Dad, you're embarrassing me. 
And I told her, I said, well, babe, they're not going to see us. This is not going to be a good experience. I don't care. I'm irritated. We're out of here. And we walked out. You know, sometimes, I don't know why it is, but there are people that irritate me. Can anyone relate? Just raise your hand, okay? Yeah. There's sometimes that people just kind of irritate me. And I don't know why it is, but it happens. Maybe for you, it's someone at a restaurant and you get poor service and you get irritated. Maybe for you, your boss every single week kind of places upon you these unreasonable expectations and you get irritated. Maybe there's a family member that every time you're around them at a family event, they say something rude deliberately and you get irritated. You know, uh, the reality is, is that the number one irritant in each of our lives is other people. We say here at the JAR... Everybody belongs. Everyone's welcome. And that's true. But this is as true as well. Everybody irritates us at some point. Everybody does. I'm irritating at times. Just ask my wife. You're irritating at times. The person beside you is irritating at times. And so for everyone who's on the stream and everyone who's here who's sitting beside someone, just as a reminder, I'd like you to turn to the person beside you and just tell them sometimes you're irritating. Okay, so go ahead. Now, the problem with an irritable person is they are predisposed to becoming angry. They are posed to be angry. They are wired to be angry. Sometimes we're told that the generation we live in is called the age of rage. You see it all the time with road rage. I mean, think about how many times you've seen on television before that someone actually gets killed or shot at. Because they get irritated at someone else's driving, even though they have perfect driving. And sometimes it happens in a restaurant. Sometimes it happens at a store. Sometimes it happens at the parking lot. Sometimes it happens at the BMV. Sometimes it happens at church. People get mad and it ticks me off. And Paul, the guy who wrote the New Testament, or half of the New Testament, and is considered one of the closest followers of Jesus, he gives the the greatest words ever written on love, which is found in 1 Corinthians 13. And he gives us our big idea this morning. And here it is. It's your first fill-in. For those of you online, uh, it's in on the app, and it's this. Love is not irritable. Love is not irritable. Here, what Paul doesn't say is you have to try really, really, really hard to not be irritable. The truth is you cannot not be irritable at times. Sometimes it just happens and you can't just pull yourself up by the bootstraps and go, today it's not going to happen. I'm just not going to get irritated about anything. But rather, what Paul says is you should make it your aim 
to be consumed and saturated by God's love. A couple of weeks ago, I challenged all of us that when we wake up in the morning, that what we would say is, God, help me to become a more loving person today. And a few of you have actually come to me and said, man, Chris, that's really helping. I'm, I'm becoming more loving because of just changing my thought process. And the key, folks, if you want to get over being an irritable person, is that you become consumed. You become immersed with God's love. If you think about it, folks, irritability is a gateway drug. Because what irritability leads to is things like bitterness and resentment and eventually anger and maybe even rage. There comes that point where your irritability goes and grows into something more, and it can even lead to hostility and even violence. And yet, the truth is, is love's not not that way. Love is not irritable. Uh, by the way, again, what's our big idea again? Some of you didn't get it. So let's all say it together, okay? One, two, three. Love is not irritable. Love is not irritable. Now, from this big idea, we have a question that we need to answer, and it's this. What is it that produces an irritable character in a person? What is it that actually produces that sense of being irritable? Well, This is connected to the next observation that Paul makes in this verse, in this section of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And he says this, love keeps no record of wrongs. So he says, love is not irritable. And then it says, the way that you do that of not getting irritable is that love keeps no record of wrongs. You know, one thing I know about every single person in this auditorium and every single person that's on the stream right now is that you are record keepers. You keep records. Because we all have access to certain memories and certain thoughts in our mind that we store up. And irritable people, folks, they keep records. They just keep records of when they were wrong. And they keep it in their minds. And then they replay over and over again those thoughts, those kind of perspectives of the hurts, the pains. And it replays over and over and over again. And they just don't ever let them go. Folks, the greatest and ultimate freedom that each one of you have is that you get to choose what occupies your mind. Every single day, you choose what's going to be in your mind. You choose your attitude. You choose what you're going to think about. Whatever it is, no one controls that. Only you control the thought process in your mind. And you can either look back on the wrongs that have been done to you, or you can look forward To what God has in store. You see, here's a critical perspective. Love keeps records too. It just doesn't keep records of wrongs. You know what love does? It keeps records of rights. Of the things that were done right. Love actually keeps a record of 
the right. Paul put it like this. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, what is ever admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what should we do? Think. Think on such things. Folks, the greatest freedom, the ultimate freedom that you have is you get to choose to dwell on what you want in your mind. Because every day, you choose your attitude. Nobody chooses your attitude for you. You choose it regardless of the circumstances. And irritable people often keep records of wrong in their mind. But Paul says, keep your mind focused on the right stuff, on what is true, what is admirable. Keep your mind focused on those things. Keep your mind focused on love. You see, love thinks about excellent things. You're never going to find a loving person not having loving actions or loving thoughts. Loving actions, loving thoughts, loving words flow out of a loving person. Because they reflect what's in that person's mind. Because what's in your mind flows out into your actions and your words and you get to choose that. Love does keep excellent records. It just keeps records of the rights. A couple of weeks ago, I uh, was with our family. We had gone to a swim meet with our two girls who swim. It was a late swim meet. And after we were done, we actually went to um, the uh, Pizza King. It's kind of a tradition. And I love Pizza King because Pizza King is the only place that you can go to where there is a bat phone. And when you get to Pizza King, you have the red phone, you take it off, and there's always someone on the other end that's going to make your day just like Batman on the other end. He's always going to save you, he's always going to do wonderful things, and so you ordered the pizza. And so we did that, and everything's going well. And then our server came to our table, um, uh, I'll just say that her name was Tammy. And Tammy came to our table... And she was very sweet and very kind, but I could tell she was a little overwhelmed because at 9.30 at night, all of these people came into the restaurant and she was the only server. Uh, by the way, uh, it's hard to be in food service right now. And so let me just say this. If you go to a restaurant and it takes a little bit longer, be patient and kind. Be generous with whatever You can give tip-wise. Well, Tammy comes to our table, and uh, she drops off the drinks. She goes ahead. She gets our half-baked breadsticks, because that's the only way to get them at Pete's King. And uh, as we're sitting there, I notice, because we were right off the kitchen, that she's getting extremely overwhelmed trying to figure out where do the pizzas go with which table number because we had kids at one table, parents at another. They were up and down and all around. And finally, uh, Tammy kind of comes to our table and she's just overwhelmed and she doesn't know where to put anything. And my wife is always much better than this than I am. She looks and she's like, we got to help this woman. And Tammy left and she went back into the kitchen and there's like pizza here. And Tammy starts to cry. 
She was that overwhelmed that tears started flowing. And she turned back from the kitchen and she came back out trying to put it together. And Jen stood up and said, Tammy, we got this. And Jen started to kind of put the pizzas where the kids had it and where the pop were. And a couple kids complained. And Jennifer was like, suck it up, buttercup, you know. And, you know, she just wasn't putting up with stuff. And Tammy was like, oh, and you could see this relief kind of in her being because someone was willing to reach out and to help. Folks, this is what I simply want to say. On that particular particular night, not like the Japanese steakhouse night, I was like, take your time, Tammy. Relax. We'll help you out. We're here. We gave a gigantic tip, bigger than we normally would ever do, because we wanted her to know that she was loved and cared for. Because love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not irritable. And on that particular night, I walked out and I was like, I'm a great guy. And Jen and the girls went in one car, and I drove in another car. And I don't know if this happens to you, but when you're driving in a car by yourself, sometimes the mind starts to race. And all of a sudden, I felt some promptings from God asking these questions. Chris, why aren't you like that all the time? Why aren't you patient and kind with every restaurant you walk into? What if I had that kind of mindset in every circumstance I walked in that nothing would make me irritable because love is not irritable. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Well, this is what I know, folks, that we can do this. We can actually do this. We control what is in our minds. We can control our behaviors. We can walk in and choose whatever situation we're in. That love is not irritable. Love keeps no record of wrong. Love keeps a record of rights, of the things that are done well. Now, uh, the word irritable, if you think about it, though, it's kind of like a trivial little word. That's usually what we think. But this is the truth, folks, is that that word can affect your soul in such a way that it can either make you live or it can actually destroy you. In the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, the nation of Israel was just wiping out everyone around them. They're winning the war every single place they go and they're celebrating And they actually started singing songs of celebration. And they would start singing, Our King Saul killed thousands of people, and David has killed tens of thousands. And we're told that Saul kind of starts hearing this song, and he's like, Whoa! Like, okay, I slain thousands, but they're saying David did tens of thousands. And all of a sudden, he gets a little irritated. And that irritation turns into anger. And finally, he just gets, he just comes into a horrible mood. And then certain thoughts start going through his mind. Thoughts like, the people like David more than they like me. 
Nobody wants me for a king. I'll probably never get credit for all of these victories. David probably is trying to steal my crown. I can't stand it that he wants to take my crown. And Saul starts stewing and stewing and stewing. And pretty soon his irritation turns to bitterness, bitterness into resentment, resentment into anger and anger into a rage. And he's so upset. Now notice, folks, he could have had a totally different perspective. When he started hearing the songs, oh, Saul has slain a thousand, he could have been like, oh, that's great. I mean, I'm the king. Look what's going on. And even when they said David had slain tens of thousands, he could go, man, I'm so glad to have a warrior like that in my army. Man, he's such a loyal person to me. But he doesn't do that. And he takes his irritation and the path that Saul chose instead was to have an irritable spirit that eventually became a spirit of hate. Well, eventually, Saul tries to take out David, but he's not very successful. And he learns that his son Jonathan, his flesh and blood, his best friends with David, and this makes him more irritated, more angry. And in fact, he gets so ticked off That even though Jonathan tries to tell his dad, Dad, David's a good guy. He's loyal to you. He's not trying to take your throne. He's really trying to be here for you. Even when he tries to tell him that, Saul, in a bit of rage, can't handle it. And he picks up a spear and he throws it across the room and almost kills his son. And the text says this, Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. Now, folks, sometimes when you read something like this, people are like, oh, I can never get angry. No, anger is a good thing. Jesus actually got angry one time in the temple. He overthrew uh, the money changers tables. Anger is a good thing sometimes. And in this thing, or in this story, it was very important because Jonathan was saying, Dad, you've got it wrong. And his anger was righteous. And he knew that he was doing the right thing for God that would actually save his friend David. Now, some of you probably are sitting there and you're wondering right now, well, When am I entitled to fierce anger? Because that sounds like fun, doesn't it? Just go off on some people. It doesn't matter who it is. Just kind of go off. Well, this is when you can do it. I'm going to give you an opportunity when you can practice fierce anger. When your dad picks up a sword and throws it across the room to take you out, you be as angry as you want because that would be a healthy anger. Otherwise, love is not... Irritable. Well, Jonathan continues on to be loyal to his friend David, and eventually that loyalty cost his life. Jonathan and his dad Saul, they both die on the same day. And David grieves the loss of them both. Now, he shouldn't have done that because they were his rivals. The king's gone. Now his heir apparent son is gone. I get to be king, but David actually grieves their loss because he had a love 
for them both. And so David asks this question. He does something amazing. He says, is there anyone else in the house of Saul whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was. There was a crippled grandson. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. A guy by the name, what's his name? Yeah, I didn't think so because you're afraid you're going to cuss. His name was Mephibosheth. Okay, so let's all say that. Repeat after me, Mephibosheth. Well, there's some cussing still going on. But even though this person should have been his enemy, David didn't do that. He actually welcomed him into his palace. He cared for him. He ate at the king's table, and he loved him for the rest of his life. Folks, love is patient. Love is kind. Love endures all things. Love is not irritable. Love keeps no record of wrong. That's the way we should walk our life. But the truth is this. Have you ever noticed that it's a lot easier to talk about love than to actually love? It's very easy for us to talk about love, and we know it should be that, than it is to actually be loving. Well, the reason it is, is because love takes a courageous step. A step, folks, that irritation and resentment and bitterness and holding a grudge will never, ever take. It kind of involves a metaphor. It's kind of a parable, actually, that we find regularly in uh, recovery circles. People who are dealing with some kind of addiction. And and by the way, Celebrate Recovery meets every Tuesday at 7 o'clock. If you have a hurt, a habit, some kind of hang-up, if you're struggling with some kind of addiction, some area of your life that's not right, you should come. I've been there many times. And it would be a blessing to you. And people will welcome you and care for you. And no one's going to put you on the spot or ask a question, but you'll find freedom in the midst of that. And so this parable, this kind of metaphor, kind of goes like this. There was a group of people who were on a boat that was headed to recovery. A boat called recovery. And on this boat... They were sailing to sobriety, to sanity, to freedom. And a woman named Mary, unfortunately, was running late and she didn't get on the boat of recovery. She actually was on the dock and she saw them going away and she wanted to get in, but she wasn't so sure she could. And everybody is on the side of the boat yelling at her, Mary, dive in! Just dive in. Come. Just dive in and swim to us. And eventually she does. She dives in. She gets in the water. She starts swimming. But pretty soon she starts to go down because she was holding a rock. And everybody looks at Mary. And everyone is like saying, Mary, drop the rock. Just drop The rock. And Mary looks down at the rock. And she 
looks at it and it represents all of her bitterness, all of her resentment, all of the grudges, all of the wrong things that people had done to her. And she looks down and she's like, I'm not sure I can do it. And then in a moment of sanity, she says, God, why do I cling to this rock? It's such a miserable place that it puts me in. It steals my joy. It puts me in prison. It damages all of my relationships. And the people are on this boat, and they're headed towards freedom. And they start yelling out to Mary, Mary, drop the rock! Drop the rock! And finally, just in a moment, she looks down and she's like, can I do this? And she goes for it, and she drops the rock. And when she does, she starts swimming to the boat. And she gets close to it. And everyone is like celebrating. They're all cheering. They're all lifting her up. Way to go, Mary. Way to drop the rock. You did it. Love is not irritable. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love actually drops rock. When you walked in today, each one of you received a rock like this. I'd like you to pull it out. Again, if you didn't get one, just raise your hand. One of our greeters will get it for you. But I'd like you to pull it out. So go ahead, get it out. Put it in your hand. For those of you on the stream, get something. And folks, what this represents is your bitterness or resentment or irritation that you have in your life towards somebody. Someone in your life has failed you. Someone in your life has betrayed you. Somebody in your life has hurt you. And maybe the person that you've been carrying resentment towards, they don't deserve to be forgiven. They've never said they're sorry. They've never repented of anything. But the reality is, even though they haven't, you just keep on carrying this rock. And it's become an irritant to a way that it is messing up your life. But no matter how big or small your rock is, you need to drop your rock today. You know, ultimately, the place where all bitterness and resentment goes is at the foot of the cross. That's where we can find freedom. Is at the foot of the cross. And so this is how we're going to close today. In just a moment, Caleb and the band are going to lead us in a song. And I want you to take your rock and I'd like you to come up here and for you to drop it At the foot of the cross. Because some of you have been carrying resentment and bitterness. Maybe because of all of COVID. Something with a family member. And you've been holding on to it. And keeping it to yourself. You're holding a grudge towards somebody in your life. 
And you could experience great freedom today if you would just drop the rock. Because love is not irritable. Love keeps no record of wrongs. And love actually drops rocks. So in just a moment, after my prayer, I'm going to invite you to come up and to simply drop your rock and to go back to your seat with a sense of freedom that you don't have to carry resentment or bitterness or grudges anymore. Because again, love is not irritable, but love drops rocks. Let's pray. Well, God, we uh, thank you so much that you are a God who is patient and kind with us. That even in moments, God, where we struggle to let go of the wrongs in our life, that you come every single morning and you give us freedom, you give us mercy. Your mercies are new every morning. And so, God, I pray right now that for the person who's sitting here right now who says, I don't need to do this, to the person on the other end who's like, man, I've been holding on to this so long that today, God, you would be with every person's heart to let them take whatever resentment they have, whatever bitterness they possess, whatever grudge they've been holding on to, and that they would place it where it belongs at the foot of the cross so that they could be a person who loves like Jesus. For people who are in the balcony, there's a cross that's up there, a table that you can just place it in. For those of you that are on the stream, whatever it is you need to do to show something that you're getting rid of, throw it in the trash can, whatever. For those of you who are here, as we sing this song, to come and to drop whatever it is at the foot of the cross and to receive God's love. You'll receive great freedom in doing this. And then we'll come back together and we'll celebrate in song what God is doing. Drop your rock and find freedom. In Jesus' name. Carried a burden too long on my own. The world's created to bury the alone. I hear your to let it all go. I see it now, laying it down, and I know that I need him. Run to Father, finding the grace, done with the hiding, the reason the way, my 
heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend. So run to the Father again and again and again and again. Freezing away, my heart needs a 
desertion The soul needs a friend So run to the Father again and again And again and again You know, I was uh, thinking about it That maybe for some of you The rock that you've been holding is some sense of resentment or bitterness towards God. That at one time you were really close to God and then it just seems like you've become a little bitter. And yet today you're like, I want to drop my rock. I want to surrender to God. And so today, if today's the day where you're willing to say, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to surrender. I want to give that bitterness at the foot of the cross. I want Jesus in my life. I need him in my life. Then I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And maybe for some of you, today's like a recommitment. The thing that's been really keeping you from growing in your faith is some resentment, some bitterness. And today you found that freedom. And so this prayer is for you as well. So I'm going to invite us just to uh, close our eyes, to have a moment. And as we pray this, we don't pray it alone, but we pray it together in community. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your gift of forgiveness. Remove my resentment. Jesus, forgive me. Make me brand new. I believe you died and rose again so I could live with you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.